What Sally has experienced is uh, echoes true with uh, so many of us that the more you surrender your life to the Lord, it's the irony of freedom. When you surrender yourself to Christ that you really do discover there is this remarkable freedom from so many different things in life. We've seen that uh, Moses has been uh, taking God at his word. There have been nine plagues. Nine times God has smacked Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt. And Pharaoh will say, uncle at first, and then as soon as the plague is gone, harden his heart even more. And God is about to do something. When we take a look at this morning, this passage about liberation has all the emotions. There is the stunning joy of being a slave. And we let that word roll off our lips. What does it mean to be a slave for 430 years? They don't even know what it is to be free. And God is about ready to say, tonight you're going to be free for the first time in your lives. What joy. And yet the other terror and shock of how far God is going to do, go to set them free. If you have your Bible, if you would take it out and stand with me for the reading of God's Word. That little red pew Bible on page 50, Exodus 11, verses 1 through 8. As we said, this is going to be the final battle between the gods of Egypt and Pharaoh and the God of Israel. It never is a struggle. God kept warning Pharaoh, but he finally resorts to this. If you're visiting, when I get done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you'll say real loud, thanks be to God, because we can trust it. Together as God's people, let's read aloud verses 1 through 8 of the 11th chapter. And as you read, listen with your heart, you're reading God's word. The Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go from here. Indeed, when he lets you go, he will drive you away. Tell the people that every man is to ask his neighbor, and every woman is to ask her neighbor for objects of silver and gold. The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, Moses himself was a man of great importance in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's officials, and in the sight of the people. Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out through Egypt. Every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, to the firstborn of the female slave who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the livestock. There will be a loud cry throughout the whole land of Egypt, such as never been or will ever be again. But not a dog shall growl at any of the Israelites. Not at people, not at animals, so that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Then all these officials of yours shall come down to me and bow low to me, saying, Leave us, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. And in hot anger, he left Pharaoh. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the bloom fades, but what you just read never will. You think you're a pretty fast learner? What do you do when you get caught and you've done wrong? Do you normally say, uh, wow, what can I learn here about myself? Or do you try to make excuses? I love to listen to people, you know, complain about life. Like you say, I've told you before, I don't have a real compassionate heart. I had a degree in counseling, but I found out you need this thing called caring. And uh, But I love Mark Twain's statement, don't complain about your problems to others. Half of them don't care, and the other half think you deserve it. Yeah, that's probably pretty true. 
But what about, uh, how about, you have, last time you got a ticket from a cop? You know, uh, police officers are just uh, people like you and I. Some of them are knucklehead just like people. Some of them are great people. But can you imagine the excuses they get? Uh, this has just been uh, going around off of the actual police car videos. You know, they video everything. And some of the officers responding to people saying why they didn't want to get a ticket. Uh, one of them says, so you don't know how fast you're going? I guess that means I can write anything I want on the ticket, right? <laughs> Another one says, uh, yes, sir, you can talk to the shift supervisor. I don't think it'll help. By the way, did I mention I'm the shift supervisor? <laughs> I like this one. Warning. You want a warning? Okay, I'll give you a warning. Don't do that again or I'll give you another ticket. <laughs> uh, and everybody thinks there's quotas. There aren't. Everybody says, this is great. Yes, we have a quota. Two more tickets and my wife gets a toaster oven. <laughs> another guy leaning through the window said, no, sir, we don't have quotas anymore. We used to, but now we can write as many tickets as we want. But my favorite is a lady trying to get out, and I've seen you ladies do this. The officer was saying to the window, you don't think we give pretty women tickets? You're right. We don't. Sign here. <laughs> well, at our passage that we take a look at this morning, yeah, those are some great guys that are out there. We take a look at the most powerful man on the planet who has been busted by God. And we see that Pharaoh's heart, that the Lord has told him, you are doing wrong and you know you are doing wrong. And how he responds. And the great truths of all of us who long to be free that are out there. That, and I think the cry for freedom might be the deepest longing of every human heart. And do you know why? Because God put it there. For freedom, Christ has set you free, the Apostle Paul said. So don't return to bondage. And every one of us in here, the bittersweet truth is we are imprisoned or enslaved to something or someone. And the question is, what or who? And from this remarkable passage, which we're going to be taking a look at, we find out two, this great Exodus event, of the ironies of liberation. You always think, if I just had my health, if I just had that job, if I just had, you know, several million bucks, if I just got back at my enemies, if I could just have that person to love, then I would be free. And how you really become free, not just kidding around, but deep liberation, is you've got to surrender and you need constraints. The irony is there's no freedom unless you and I surrender and let God do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And the moment we bend the knee and surrender to God, freedom comes. But we're not just free from the things that imprison us, but we're free to. And that's where there are constraints. The loving constraints of the higher laws of God that keeps us from being enslaved to the lower laws of this life. The Apostle Paul said the love of Christ constrains us into freedom. And what he means is rather than being trapped to all the gravity and the muck and the tying down and the entanglement of this world, when we do what God asks, then we live a life of liberty. And the liberty of Christ is the greatest life to live. Do you believe that? Amen? And the way we do that is by doing what He asks. Well, let's take a look at this passage again. As we, we're going through about uh, four different chapters this morning. Fairly fast, so I had a lot of espresso. So we'll... Uh, the tenth chapter... Page 50 in your pew Bible and starting in verse 27. 
this great mystery which we tried to unpack last week of why won't Pharaoh bend the knee? Verse 27, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he was unwilling to let them go. Notice that interplay. You are free, but you're not ever free of your consequences. And Pharaoh said to Moses, get away from me. Take care you do not see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, just as you say, I will never see your face again. And he doesn't. And Moses goes bashing out of there. Well, there's a great question, and that is, well, how come God doesn't give us freedom? Well, I hate to tell you this, you are free. Whether you like it or not, you and I are free moral agents. You can do what you want. But you and I are never free of the consequences. You can eat anything you want. But your body will respond accordingly. Every time I sit down in a restaurant, I think, do I want to be happy or healthy? You know, there's a difference there. (laughs) You are free to spend all the money you want. Rack up those cards. And you're also free to go totally broke. You are free, by the way, to express yourself because people are so mean and just say what's on your heart because you're only being honest. And you're also free to live a life of entire loneliness. You are free, and I am too, to do whatever we want, but never of the consequences. Pharaoh is welcome to harden his heart against God and to say to God, no way am I moving. And he's also free to reap the consequences. And when he says to Moses, you step into my presence again, prophet boy, you will die. And Moses says, you just said it. I will never see your face again. And then the Lord goes, look at verse 1. I will bring one more plague upon Pharaoh and Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go from here. Indeed, when he lets you go, he will drive you away. Tell the people that every man to ask his neighbor and woman to ask for objects of silver and gold. And what he's saying is, Moses, not only are you going to go free, they're going to throw you out and they're going to fund it. They're going to underwrite my taking you out of here. Because the Egyptians were so terrified of them with what God's about to do, they go, take whatever you want. Just take it and get out of here. You are bad news. And so he does, and look in verse 4. Thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn of the female slaves who's behind the handmail and the firstborn of the livestock. There will be a loud cry throughout the whole land such as never been or ever will be again. But not a dog shall even growl at any of the Israelites, at people or animals, so that Pharaoh, he's speaking to, you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. A lot of people, every time we come to this, these plagues and this death of the firstborn, don't you honestly say, whoa, Lord, that is way harsh. Yeah, I mean, go ahead and grease Pharaoh, but his firstborn and every Egyptian's firstborn, every mother and every father holding their dead child throughout the land, some of them adult children, some of them infants. God, what are you doing? And the Bible tells us the wages of sin is not an upset stomach. It is not a bad, pressured life. 
It is not having a migraine because you're trying to live life on your own. The wages of sin is death. It is death. And God is saying to them, all he's doing is putting the film on fast forward. You are dying anyway, and I am just going to show. And anyone who would dare to say, oh God, you don't know what it's like to lose your firstborn. He says, try again. Only I gave mine. And so what we are finding out is God is telling the Egyptians as well as the children of Israel the response of him. And isn't it funny? Now keep in mind, this is a 3,500 year old document you're reading. And in the bronze era of that time, and we very often bring our eyes to it, because you live in a nice, polite culture, the number one attribute that Americans have is niceness. You got to be nice. But at this time, you got to keep in mind justice and truth and judgment, as most cultures that have lived, was the most important thing that is out there. And isn't it funny how we want justice for us, but not others? Have you noticed that? Winston Churchill, they said, do you ever pray for justice? He says, no, God might give it. <laughs> have you, don't you know, admire patience in the car behind you, but you can't stand it in the car in front of you? Have you ever noticed that? That very often it's us who want to take all of this. And God views sin very different than us. My older brother, I remember 29 years old, uh, when he was losing his vision, he went into the hospital and he died of leukemia. And I remember when we went in, we didn't, he was sick, we didn't know what, and the oncologist came in and here's my brother and here I was. I was uh, two years younger than my older brother and sitting on the bed and the doctor said, your white blood count is just off the chart. And I went, that's great. Because I thought that meant if you got a lot of white blood cells, you can fight any infection. And I didn't notice the doctor's face. And he said, but we will uh, try whatever we can. It was a sign, not good things for my brother, but that he was dying. And you and I very often go, whoa, isn't that great? We got this. We're living for ourselves. We got back at that so-and-so. Yay, I took advantage of everybody. That's great. And God says, this is very bad. This is very bad. And very often what the Lord is saying to Egypt is He is saying here, it will cost you. And it will cost them in that night. And, you know, it's we think that some sins are funny. And sin is not only pleasurable for a season, it's enjoyable when you watch it in other people. Most people are lovable from afar. Have you noticed that? It's funny to be around drunk people for at least three or four minutes, isn't it? And it's funny how some people, you know, they party on, they're at the cocktail party and all the keggers, and they're just kind of funny until they run their car into your loved one and take their life, and you'll never see them again. You know, a lot of people, we're, you know, we're really pretty romantic. I'm a pretty physical woman or pretty physical man. We love this thing of sex. And, and some people, it's a free culture, a free society. If we want to view all the sex we can, if somebody wants to have all the sex again, that's great. And, you know, that's enjoyable until they molest your child. Man, it's not funny anymore. You know, we love people that are really dedicated to business and making a lot of money. We call them achievers. And we call it very objective and going out there. And, you know, they're frugal. That means they won't give you anything. And as they go ahead, and you think that we admire that a culture until they send you down the river for two bucks just for that sacred man. And God sees the outcast of sin and he says, I make a difference. And so he tells Israel, you get ready. And liberation means surrendering. It means letting somebody help you and you can't help yourself. 
We don't like that. We want to help ourselves. That's why every other religion outside of Christianity, it's up to you to chin yourself up. You have to, by your own good works, chin yourself up. And that is so appealing. But Christianity says, you can't do it. You need my help. I remember I used to hate it. When I used to get my car stuck in the snow back in Colorado or Detroit, and you know, you're rocking back and forth and you can't do it, and somebody would come up and you know say, can I help? And you'd go, no. Do you know why? Because they might get it out. I remember one lady, uh, she uh, got stuck, and the guy behind her was just laying on the horn, laying on the horn, and actually, he didn't know it was a matter because the light had turned green, and he wouldn't get through, and she came walking through the snowstorm and came and knocked on the window, and she said to the guy, hey, why don't we change places? Uh, why don't I sit in your car and lay on the horn, and you try to start my car, okay? Why don't you go ahead? But we don't like it. We are in this river of sin and we are helpless, swept away. And periodically God stops it and says, you want help out? And we say, no fair, you're on the bank. I'm down here in the river trying. And he says, do you want out? You can't give your life to Christ anytime you want. You know that. Jesus said, unless my father calls, no man can come to me. And that's why I pray the people you're inviting to the Hollywood Bowl. And by the way, we need 200 prayers. If you want to be a part of this prayer team, because afterwards we're going to give people an opportunity to respond. It's going to be a great thing. But you can respond only when God stops this river and he puts his hand out and says, do you want to get out? And if you don't take his hand, you get swept back down the river. You can't decide just to kind of crawl out anytime you want. And so he is telling them there's a difference between you thinking you can just walk out and letting me. Interesting passage. Turn with me over to John 8. In your uh, pew Bible, it's on page 871, starting in verse 31. The difference between sin and slavery to sin is a difference. Jesus is uh, now talking to the, those who followed him and believed in him. And he noticed what he's going to say, though. Just because you walked out doesn't mean you can't fall back. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We're descendants of Abraham and never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you'll be made free? Jesus answered them, Very truly I say to you, Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free... You will be free indeed. Now notice there's a difference between the sin, which is rebellion and requires repentance. You don't treat a sin. You don't go to therapy for sin. You get on your knees and admit it and confess this and say, God. And repentance doesn't mean beating yourself up. It means saying, Lord, I've done wrong. But whoever sins as a slave, and slavery is not a sin. It's the result. It's the consequence. And here's where the evil one discourages more Christians than anything else. When we become addicted, what other consumatory behavior, whether it's eating or drinking or smoke or coke or sex or maybe it's money or whatever it is, that we keep making these vows, oh, God, I won't do it again. God, I won't do it. And when we feel like, when, and we're just slaves of it. It's not that we're sinning. The evil one goes, look it. God couldn't love somebody like you because you knew better than that. That's why he's called the accuser of the brethren. 
Well, Jesus says, no, 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 that's not a sin. The, sla- the sin was when you rebelled originally. And I'm here to help set you free. That's why it's not a sin to have chemical imbalances and to have diseases and, and to be very often addicted into things. And that's why you need help. You need counselors. You need those that can help and come alongside. But it's a two-tiered issue. One is the spirits. The other is the effect of it. And we need to surrender to God and to let Him to help us. And what's, you know, you gotta walk out of the forest as far as you walked in. God rarely airvacs us. Doesn't that bother you about God? That very often when you've walked into a problem is why He says, don't sin. Don't go walking into there. Cause it's gonna be a tough road back out. I'll be with you, but live a smart, a free life. Okay, turning back over to, uh, we gotta move along. Exodus 12 here. Back over 51. We're moving right along. Oh, interesting passage. In 11.2, what is this about pillaging the Egyptians of their money besides funding? God is going to take the wealth of the world and exchange it into his people. Do you know why? Because it was God's wealth all along. But real wealth versus just the funny money of this world is understanding the deep things of God. Jesus said if you are faithful in a little, you'll be faithful in a lot. If you can't handle what God is giving you now, when we get to eternity, and right now we're riding the tricycles, they're going to give you Harleys there. And if you can't handle your tricycle, who's going to hand you over a hog on that day? God's not going to do that. That might really be a bad translation, but... He says, blessed are the meek. Why? For they shall inherit the whole ball of wax. Meekness is saying, I trust in God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so you and I are called to live and to to follow the spiritual life of following in Christ Jesus. But someday there is going to be this great exchange because God distinguishes between right and wrong. You live in a culture that does not believe this. Fact, if you want to learn from the Apostle Paul, when he spoke to the Jewish audience, he had to convince them that God's grace on the cross would forgive them. When he spoke to the Roman world, he had to convince them of something called sin. Because they didn't think there was anything called sin. But God says there's a difference between the sheep and the goats, Jesus said. Between the wheat and the tares. Between trees that bear fruit and those that don't. Between the wise virgins that were ready when the groom returned and the unwise who were not ready and they were left out. Between those who come alongside and accept the invitation to the banquet and to those that blow the invitation off. And the difference is literally heaven and hell. And God is saying to those, say, you know better than this and distinguish And besides that, he says, I will take care of you, and God will. But we get so distracted. God gives us all these things in life, and and, and I think God wants to bless us and take care of us. My goodness. Poverty wouldn't be good, or Christ wouldn't tell us to alleviate it. And I've told you before, it's so funny. People always tell tell me as a pastor, you know, well, you know, pastor, I'm different than you. I like nice things. What, I'm a pastor? I love garbage? You know, what is this all about? But what they're saying, no, I have need of it. You don't. You're weird. But, you know, I, I really need this. Well, God wants us to have good stuff, but we get so distracted all the time. I have a friend of mine, he's wondering, his son keeps asking for more money. He's at college. And he keeps, he thinks, man, the guy's rent must be crazy. Well, what he's found out, 
This kid feels called. He's sponsoring all the parties in the dorm himself. And he's saying, son, go get a job. It's like the uh, young man that went off to college and he emailed back to his parents. Good news. Was just elected head of the debate team. Feather in my cap. Next, about three weeks later, he emailed more good news. Was just elected head of the entertainment for our dorm. About a month later, he says, another feather in my cap. More good news, another feather in my cap. I am head of the intramural sports. And after finals, he wrote back, he said, bad news. I flunked out. Please send money for me to fly home. The father emailed back, dear son, take all those feathers in your cap, stick them in your arms, and fly home. (laughs) Sometimes we get so distracted compared to what God has called us to in life, and we need to wake up. Remember your fairy tales. When you fall under a spell, it's like sleep. And we need to have the ammonia capsule of God's reality busted underneath our nose so we can say, whoa, what is life doing? And so we surrender to the Lord. And then in the 12th chapter, this great institution about, and some of us are going to get ready to celebrate this Seder meal, this Passover meal, and, and how much we'll see that Jesus Christ is in that, the Messiah himself, as we get ready in our small groups. Look at the one, verse 11. The Seder meal should be like getting a meal at LAX. You know when you're late for a flight, you just grab something? Look at verse 11. This is how you shall eat it. Your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it hurriedly. It is the Passover of the Lord. For I will pass over or through Pesach in the Hebrew, why some of your Jewish friends call it, in the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both humans and animals, and all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land. And what is so strange, I mean the symbolism here. First of all, you've got to have your bags ready. You eat it standing up. Do you know why God doesn't use a lot of us? Because he knows we really don't want to be used. Not only the slave masters, but the slaves get used to being enslaved. I used to work with a ministry called Friends in Transition, helping felons come out of prison and get their first contacts and their first jobs. And, you know, I want to tell you, 90% of the men and women... Prison is a bad place. They can't wait to get out of there. But you know, you always meet handfuls who live in terror of coming out. I mean, they are in these hell holes called the U.S. prisons and the terrible things that go on there, and yet they're afraid. What are they going to do with freedom? What are we going to do? At least there they got three hots and a cot, and they know their little routine. And you and I, we get so imprisoned into our little lives that we, wouldn't it be neat to be free in Christ? And yet we really don't want it. It's an ideal, but it's not a value yet. And God, if we really do have that as a value, calls us to come alongside and to do what He asks. And as He strikes down, and notice the blood. On the doorpost and on the lintel, it's in the sign of a cross. And when the angel of death comes, if you're not in a house with the blood, your firstborn dies, period. And he says, when I see the blood, when this angel of death passes over, then nothing shall be harmed in that house. And, of course, pointing to, I mean, when you're under the blood of Christ, under when he picked up that bill, you are not going to pay for what you should or me either, because he took the hit that you and I deserve. 
And liberation means not just surrendering to God, but it's doing what He asks so we don't become slaves of the lower law. It's not just leaving Egypt, which we'll see next week in the great parting of the water, but it's free from, but free to follow Him to the promised land. The ark wasn't just to destroy everybody who was evil, but to recreate Noah and his family so God could do it again. The exile wasn't just to leave behind those that didn't trust God anymore, but when they went into Babylon, to sift them out to come back to re-engineer and rebuild. When Jesus cast the demons out of the Gadarene, the guy living in the cemetery because he was filled with all these different demons, it wasn't just that the demons were gone, but they said they saw him clothed in his right mind. It's that he brought emotional healing to him. Christ didn't just die on this cross to pay for our bill, that's true. But he's alive and ascended and he's coming back. And you and I aren't just to leave the craziness of this world and its ways, but to be filled with the Spirit. That's the way to live life. I tell you, God wants a return on his investment. God has paid a remarkable price for you and me. And all he asks is for your entire life. He says, I want you to trust me with this. I give you all of me, and you give me all of you. And there, that is the exchange that takes place. And when God does that, I tell you, you know the best way for you to be free today, when you walk out of here, is first of all, let the parking lot clear. But after that, you go find somebody else imprisoned and help set them free. Nothing will open the door to yourself faster than that, than helping somebody else. I think some remarkable people that have done things for God, and there is no enemy God cannot defeat. He defeats all the gods of Egypt. It wasn't even a contest. And there is no problem that God can't solve when we let Him. And that's by reaching out. Marian Anderson, who a young African-American lady who in the color barrier of opera, let alone as those that broke through in the sports, what a voice she had. And uh, a reporter asked her one time, the name is Saul Hurrock, what was the greatest moment of your life? Now, this lady... She had unbelievable moments in her life. He said, was it maybe when Toscanini, the great composer, came and told her she had the greatest voice he'd ever heard? That's like having Einstein say, you're really good at math, you know? That's a great moment. Maybe when she gave a private audience for the President of the United States and the Queen of England in the White House, that must have been a great moment. Maybe on Easter morning, a black woman standing in front of the Lincoln Memorial and 75,000 people the Supreme Court, the cabinet, and this is long before those Jim Crow laws are gone. Here you have a black woman leading in the worship of the risen Christ. Was that the greatest moment? She said the greatest moment in her life was when she got to go home and tell her mother, you don't need to take in people's laundry anymore. When she made enough money to say, Mama, you don't need to do that for other people anymore. And she's right. There is no greater feeling in the world than helping to set other people free. Is God right now asking you, he's saying, you ready to go out? And you go, yeah, 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 I'm ready. Then he says, then buckle up your helmet, pack your bags, let's go. You get ready, he'll lead. You don't get ready, he won't lead. Is it tough to surrender to God? <laughs> it is for me. It's to say, Lord, 
I'm going to trust you. Now I'm going to jump off of here, you know, and I know you've caught me 432 million times, but this time you might drop me. And that's just human nature. I mean, yeah, we say, Lord, catch me, and he does once again. You think the way of freedom is for yourself to get all the things you want? That's the great wonder of God. Real freedom is when we let the constraint of Christ live our life. And the Lord said, you will know that I am the Lord your God when I have brought you out of slavery. Let's let him. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, as we bow our heads and we respond to your word, God, we know there is no games with you. The Lord, you see that we're so entangled. Some of us, God, we're in prisons of anger and resentment and hatred because somebody stabbed us in the back or betrayed us or broke our heart. And Lord, we're tired of it. Some of us, God, have tried and made so many vows that so many addictions, God, and we need help. And some of us, God, are addicted to just looking to ourselves rather than you, Lord, the worst enslavement there is. I pray, Lord, that you would come right now and help to set us free, Lord, so that we might liberate others. Thank you, God, for the liberty that there is in Christ and that you will never remember our sins again. But that, God, we can live a life of following you. And so, God, we want to help others, and that's what our tithes and offerings are all about. And, Lord, as we come before you with our gifts now, I pray that you would help to open the prison doors of others by the food and the clothing, by the good news of Christ that will go here into this city and around the world. Thank you for this privilege of working with you, Lord. Thank you, the glory that is waiting. Maranatha, Lord, send him back soon. For his sake we pray. Amen.